Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a new passage of the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I gotta know. What would be the most absurd item to include in a time capsule to confuse future archaeologists? Okay, so I have all sorts of questions about the conditions on this. Of course but, you would. Because it's, it's how far in the future, you know? Like, there are some things that get more confusing the further out you go, that it's sort of thing. It's subjective. You have to assign it. An archaeologist with no functional knowledge of American culture in 2024. Well, oh my. Well, then, then just about anything would work. But right. okay, the first first kinds of things that come to mind, it's almost hard to pick something because I can think of the type of thing, yep. but I don't know what it will be now. So what I mean is like a piece of technology or fashion that was popular for a very short amount of time where everybody kind of knew what it was, but then it passed. And then it, it beca- became something that even a generation later, people are like, oh yeah, what was that? So I, I'm thinking about like, you remember those like zip drives that were like the big chunky things before? Before we had like CDs and DVDs that we put everything on or like, or even something like a flip phone where you're like, there was a, there was a period of years where everybody had a flip phone and then they, ne- they ceased to exist and those sorts of things. But you don't know until you're past it, that this was something that was going to be quickly passing and people will forget about it. So it's like one of those kinds of things. So I don't know what in 2024 will be that way in 50 years or hundred years where it's like, oh my gosh, that only lasted 18 months, you know, that, that thing that people did, but something like that would be good if I could find it. What are the blanket slash sweatshirts called? Snug, snugglies? Snuggies. Snuggies? Snuggies. Yeah. You, put, you put a snuggie <laughs> put a in the time capsule. <laughs> that would be a good one. All the Americans were wearing <laughs> soft <laughs> ponchos. <laughs> it's just a robe backwards, guys. <laughs> All right, my answer is to record the full Grammys ceremony. (laughs) Wow. Because (laughs) I don't know if you guys watch the Grammys, see clips of it, read articles about it. It's nuts. Like, it is so detached from real world people. Yeah. It's like this whole other world of people that think they're living normal lives like the rest of us. And so if an archaeologist pulled a recording of the Grammys out of the ground and watched it and said, is this what oh. Americans were like in 2024? Yeah. Yeah, it would be really That weird. would be very that, confusing to an archaeologist yeah. because that that is a, that's crazy town. Yeah. The Grammys are crazy town. It's a good answer. Um, I thought about a retractable leash. Uh, so I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, like I'm thinking to myself, like like they're so helpful now. Like when I walk my dog, like because he can run and he can just go like nuts on the leash, and I'm not being pulled everywhere. But like in the future, we're not gonna need a retractable leash. Like we're gonna have <laughs> like a a connection, like a mind connection with our dogs. Like we're just gonna and they're just gonna be well behaved. You know, like you're gonna just like think, like sit, and they're just gonna do it. Like, like, that's wow. implanted, like an implanted chip yeah is no. you and in your dog that's right. you can just communicate with the dog no more so this is a, this leash. is all assuming you like you're predicting what the future technology will be yeah and that's what you're basing it off of exactly wow would yeah. you really get a chip in your brain to communicate with your dog i would why not <laughs> uh i don't know i can think of a few reasons <laughs> we're, we're gonna get to a an, an ethics conversation right now Te- technology just squeamish like, we're changing the bible savvy podcast to <laughs> ethics and technology 
All right, Clayton, you got something to tell us about. Yeah, so we've got a class coming up on March 2nd. It's called How to Study the Bible. Yeah, we do. Eric's teaching it, so yeah, yeah. Uh, he can tell you probably a little bit about it. But this is, uh, we used to call it Bible 201. It's basically if you have been reading the Bible uh, somewhat, but you want to dig deeper in terms of the tools that you use, this is a day-long seminar, highly interactive, uh, where you work through how to use a study Bible and a Bible dictionary and all sorts of tools like that that will help you get more out of reading Scripture. Yeah, so sometimes when I lead this workshop, it is a five or six session in the evening type workshop, but every once in a while we do an all day on a Saturday. So you can come hang out, have a good time with a Saturday. You will learn a ton. You'll meet good people. And it is not just me teaching for seven hours. It is legit a workshop. I teach you how to use tools. You dig in, you get in groups, you, you figure it out, you ask questions. It's highly interactive. So come hang out with me on a Saturday for how to study the Bible. And part, part of the reason we do classes like this is because we don't want you to listen to something like uh, one of us preaching or talking on the podcast, and we say, oh, yeah, let me tell you this background information about the passage. And you say, oh, well, it's probably because they went to school and got a degree and they know something and I don't have access to that. The reality is all of that stuff we learned from some tool, some book that was in front of us. And so we want to give you access to that to know how to use those types of things so that you don't have to assume like, well, someone got the decoder ring and I just didn't get it. We're giving you the decoder ring. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right, we are going to be in Ezekiel chapter 14, and I'll just give you a little bit of context here. In Ezekiel, we are talking about the time of the exile. So uh, the time of the exile was when God allowed the Babylonians to come in and take over the kingdom of Judah, and some of the people in Judah were deported, and uh, during that time, they are living off in the land of Babylon, away from Judah. Jerusalem and Judah, and yet the people are still resisting God. They're still rebelling against God. And so God raises up prophets like Ezekiel to tell them and warn them to say, you still need to turn away from your sin. A lot of the people are assuming that it's going to be a short period of time, that it's not going to be a big deal. People are going to come back to Jerusalem. God's not going to you know, let too much happen to them. But the prophets, like Ezekiel, are there to say, hang on, you've got to pay attention to this. So we're going to read in Ezekiel 14, starting in verse 1. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. When any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing in Israel separate themselves from me and set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer them myself. I will set my face against them and make them an example and a byword. I will remove them from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord." And if the prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy, I, the Lord, have enticed that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. They will bear their guilt. 
The prophet will be as guilty as the one who consults him. Then the people of Israel will no longer stray from me, nor will they defile themselves any more with all their sins. They will be my people, and I will be their God, declares the sovereign Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. Or if I send wild beasts through that country and they leave it childless and it becomes desolate so that no one can pass through it because of the beasts, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save their own sons or daughters. They alone would be saved, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword against that country and say, let the sword pass throughout the land, and I kill its people and their animals. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save their own sons or daughters. They alone would be saved. Or if I send a plague into that land and pour out my wrath on it through bloodshed, killing its people and their animals. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would save only themselves by their righteousness. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. How much worse will it be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments, sword and famine and wild beasts and plague to kill its men and their animals. Yet there will be some survivors, sons and daughters who will be brought out of it. They will come to you. And when you see their conduct and their actions, you will be consoled regarding the disaster I have brought on Jerusalem, every disaster I have brought on it. You will be consoled when you see their conduct and their actions, for you will know that I have done nothing in it without cause, declares the Sovereign Lord. All right, let's talk about the O and comma, observation. What do you guys see in this passage? More scariness. Yeah. <laughs> As we've been reading through Ezekiel, there's yeah. quite a bit of it. Yeah, no, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's just more, it's more of God talking about why and what he's going to do to the people of Israel because of their, um, them being unfaithful to him. Um, what, you know, what's interesting is I had this question, verse five. Um, so he's talking about how, like, if the people come to the prophet He's going to like God's going to answer them instead. And he says, I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have deserted me from for for their idols. Is he talking about like recapture in a good way or in a bad way? Hmm. I assumed it was good when I I read that. Oh. Hey, Clayton. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I, you know, I th- I think it's positive because yeah. it's very clear that God wants them to repent. Like, that's the next verse, right? right? Like, so he wants them to turn to them. Um, the, the, the question that I feel like is behind the question is, how in the world will him answering in this harsh way recapture their hearts? Right? So they, so the, the whole, the whole logic is this. These are people who don't want to follow me and worship me because in their own hearts, they're worshiping something else. But they come to me asking for guidance. It's like saying, hey, you want to help me do this? And it's like, you are actually interested in what I have to say because you're clearly not following me. So if I'm going to answer you, I'm not going to do it to be helpful because you are not the sort of person who has made a practice of listening to me. So if he answers in a way that um, 
whatever is harsh, dismissive, you know, does leaves them out on their own. Um, how will that win over their hearts? Uh, I I suppose it's a little bit of that. I don't want to say tough love because sometimes that gets misused that that you know, that idea. But like, there's a sense of at some point when you say, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna be direct with you, and this might be hard for you. And you're going to realize the thing you're going to have one foot in, one foot out on, you actually really want to be all in on. Because if I'm denying it to you, you realize, oh, no, I can't. Like, I was wishy-washy. Now my decision is being forced. And I don't like that I'm being forced into that decision. It makes me reconsider that maybe I should go back to God. I, I think that's it, if that makes sense. Yeah, your answer is actually my, my first observation, which is a bunch of people who are demonstrating that they really don't want to hear from the Lord. Going to a prophet to ask the, a question to the Lord through the prophet is completely nonsensical. Uh, my observation is this repeated phrase of uh, setting up idols in their hearts. It is, uh, it's really interesting because there were literal idols in those days. So they, they might have, you know, people had statues and that sort of thing. Uh, we often talk in modern days about having idols in your heart because we don't often have actual like metal statues that we bow down to. And we say, no, it's things like your money or your job or what, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but Ezekiel's doing this saying, there can be people who are outwardly who are saying, I'm, I'm interested in God in some way. And yet what's inside is actually giving allegiance or priority to something else. And that's a really, uh, that's a pretty insightful idea about how humans work, that we actually, from the center of our being, give ourselves over to something. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Wow, there's a lot in Ezekiel. And it can be tough to understand. But that's where Bible Savvy shines. The Bible Savvy reading schedule. We're all reading through it together. Or the Bible Savvy podcast. Or using an NIV study Bible. There's some helpful stuff in there. Or watching a Bible project video. Or how about this? We're preaching through the book of Ezekiel on the weekends. Come to church on the weekend. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Okay, so uh, questions are good observations, right? So I've got another question. Why does he keep mentioning Noah, Daniel, and Job? Hey, Clayton, Clayton. why does he keep mentioning? Um, I'm trying to remember if Dr. Graves uh, mentioned this in the the bonus episode, but uh, these three men represent uh, like the the peak of righteousness in an unrighteous time, right? So uh, you've got got Noah, who is uh, someone who is distinctively one of the only righteous people around in his era, which is part of what's going on with with him, you know, being commissioned to make the ark. Uh, Daniel, who is a contemporary of Ezekiel, that's a really interesting one, is um, someone who is living in the court of a pagan king, being pressured to do things that are against uh, what what God says, and is making choices about when and how to stand up to that, even though it might cost him. Uh, and then uh, Job is someone who was uh, righteous in his age, where so much so that the court of heaven's looking down and God says, you know what? Have you considered how righteous Job is? Let's put him to the test. And he and the devil have this whole deal. So all three of these men represent uh, a kind of a distinctive righteousness that's um, different from the people around them. And so Ezekiel's saying, look, even if like the very best, like these are the three all-stars of following God that we can find, if they were there, 
even that wouldn't even spare the city because it's so bad. They, they'd be able to save themselves, but it would not spare the city. Okay, so this reminds me of earlier in the Bible, the bargaining with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God, if you find a lot of people that are actually righteous in the city, will you spare the city? Yes. All right, God, what if there's only some people in the city that are righteous? Would you spare the city? Yes. What if you only found a few people righteous in the city? Would you spare the city? Right? This is this is hearkening back to that, or at least making us think about it. And what Ezekiel is saying is, if you had three of the most righteous people that have ever walked the planet in Jerusalem, I still would, they would be spared, but I would not spare the city on their behalf. Uh, one observation that I have here is the, the, and it's a tricky one. This is one where it gets challenging. It says, if a, verse 9, if a prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy, I, the Lord, have enticed that prophet. It's like, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it, it's one of those ones where we've got verses that say very explicitly, God doesn't tempt anyone. And then you get these verses where it seems like, well, God's setting someone up to, you know, to, to go astray. So the question is, what's going on there? It's uh, entrapment. It's, it's, it's spiritual entrapment. It's entrapment. It's, it's exactly, that's exactly right. Um, so here, here's what I think is going on here. There is a, a story where it illustrates God doing this in a particular situation. It's in uh, Second Kings. And uh, there is a king, Ahab, who desperately wants to do something. And so he has surrounded himself with so-called prophets who claim to be speaking for God, but keep telling the king exactly what he wants to hear. And then along comes a guy named Micaiah, and Micaiah is going to tell him the truth. And so Ahab's like, ah, oh, I don't want to listen to this guy. He only says bad things to me. And it basically shows he's shut off from actually listening. And so Micaiah actually shares a vision, and he says, you know, if you were in the court of heaven, this is what you'd see. You would see God standing around with all of the angelic creatures and, you know, trying to make assignments of how, what is going on on earth. And God says, you know what? I want someone to mislead Ahab. That sounds terrible, right? Like, you don't want to mislead Ahab. You want to lead him back, right? And and so they go through and one, you know, uh, spirit volunteers and says, well, I'll go, you know, make sure that the prophets don't say anything helpful or true to to uh, Ahab. And so God says, okay, you have permission to do that. And so you say, wait a minute, what? Like, he's going to make sure the prophets lie? And here's what's really going on. Ahab has already proven that he, his ears are closed off to God. And so he says, I'm not going to give you the truth. I'm going to confirm what you already want. I'm going to surround you with all the things. And in, in essence, the punishment is letting you drown in your own falsehood. It's to say, this is so misleading and so destructive. This is going to be damaging for you. And you have closed yourself off when you've had the chance to hear the truth. So I'm going to give you what you ask for. And it's the, the sort of uh, uh, Willy Wonka approach where it's like, if you get, you know, you fall into the river of chocolate and that doesn't go well for you, right? I'm going to let you have what you want and it's not going to go good. So um, I think that's what's going on here. Uh, Ezekiel is saying, you're like Ahab. You're like those people who they don't, you don't want to listen. You're closing off your ears. So what's God going to give you? Okay. Whatever you want to hear, fine. You know, you're not going to listen to me anyway. I'm going to let them tell you lies. Yeah. In in my own mind, I think one of the scariest forms of judgment from God is when he gives us what we want. Yeah. And the I have this scary picture in my head of God kind of putting his hands up and saying, rock on with your bad self. And man, when God does that, it's terrible. So another observation I had in the midst of all of this, all of these bad things, right? Uh, verse 22, yet uh, mm. there will be some survivors 
sons and daughters who we brought out of it. Um, I thought back to, uh, I think it, it was last week's passage when we were reading in Ezekiel 5, and it was talking about like the thirds, like, you know, a third of the people, a third of the people, a third of the people. And you had made this connection about how, uh, you know, Ezekiel was told to tuck away some of the hairs. Because oh, yeah, the hairs that represented the people. The people, yeah. yeah. Because some of them would be spared. Well, then I just read this and I was like, I wonder if that's what he meant. You know, like, again, we don't know, but it's kind of a cool connection based on what you said yeah. last week. Yeah, you do. You do kind of know. I mean, the, some of the things that help you connect the dots in the Bible are either the historical context or the literary context. So if you see that kind of thing happening throughout Ezekiel, yeah. then it is a, it is a very logical conclusion to draw that that is in fact what's Seems going on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There there is a, a theme of the remnant that goes throughout the Bible, especially in the prophets when they're saying judgment's coming. Part of part of the way that God says, "I'm not done with you." is he says there will be a remnant. There'll be a small group of people. There'll be some that are spared. There'll be a, a few that remain faithful. And that carries on the the, the promise to, to his people. Uh, one other observation I had was um, along with uh, the repeated phrase of setting up idols in your hearts, the other one that goes right next to it is they put a wicked stumbling block before their faces. And it took me a while to think about that. I'm like, okay, so they put a stumbling block before their faces. Um, and so you think of a stumbling block, you think of like, I'm wandering around in the dark at night and I trip over, you know, like a you know, Ottoman or something, right? Like there's this like, okay, well, I wouldn't want to do that. And then I realized, oh, this is the point. They're so foolish. It's in front of their faces and they set it up themselves and they walk into it and trip over it. Like that's like, God's making fun of them saying your behavior you think makes so much sense, but it's as dumb as setting up the thing that you're about to walk into and trip over, and you know it's there. And I, I think that's what Ezekiel's trying to do. Another observation, verse 23, the final verse of the chapter, you will be consoled when you see their conduct and their actions, for you will know that I have done nothing in it without cause, declares the sovereign Lord. You will be consoled. The, the consolation here is... God's not just flying off the handle. He's not doing irrational things. He's not doing things without cause. He is perfect in all his ways. He perfectly judges. He he perfectly executes judgment. He perfectly evaluates everything. We don't have to wonder if God is flying off the handle, if he's having a good day, a bad day, judging right, judging wrong. God is perfect in all his ways, and there's consolation in that. Well, let's use that as the transition to one of the M's in comma. Meditation is when we take a portion of the scripture that we've read and we zero in on it and we prayerfully ponder it. And usually what we do is we take just about one verse. So we'll take that verse that Eric just mentioned and we'll give you 45 seconds to, to ponder that. You will be consoled when you see their conduct and their actions, for you will know that I have done nothing in it without cause, declares the sovereign Lord.
All right, let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. What message did you get out of this today? My message comes from verse five. Uh, God recaptures people's hearts. My message is righteousness matters. Uh, my message comes out of that uh, repeated phrase of uh, taking an idol into your heart. And so I say, watch what you take into the center of your life. All right, let's talk about the A and comma, application. What do you do in response to the message? My message is God recaptures people's hearts. So I, I was thinking, you know, who who do I know in my life um, that is is either uh, desert, deserted their faith or they've walked away from God or maybe they're on the verge of it? Um, and for me to keep that person in my prayers um, because— Again, what God says he does, and if his word says that he recaptures people's hearts, then I believe that if I can pray for somebody, that God's going to recapture their heart. My message is righteousness matters, and my application is that the way I live my life, the way I go about my daily business matters. I think sometimes what happens is when we're talking about God, we talk about spirituality, we talk about what I believe, we talk about all of these things that can be ethereal. Righteousness isn't philosophical, it's not ethereal, it's not ambiguous, it's not just some random floating spirituality. Righteousness is about living your life in a real way, day in and day out, in alignment with what the sovereign Lord has said is good, is bad, what he values, how he's created the world to work. So when I say righteousness matters, my application is that my everyday existence matters. How I am at the grocery store, how I am at my house, how I take care of the people around me, all of that matters. Uh, my message is watch what you take into the center of your life because Ezekiel warns about having idols in your heart. And so the question is, okay, you, it, just like these elders of Israel who think that, you know, they're they're into God and Ezekiel says, no, your heart actually is is not. Um, we've got to do some examination sometimes. And the, the best way to do that is to actually pay attention to what you actually do. So it, it's similar to what Eric is saying. It's not just some, you know, floating thing out there, like all oh, these ideas that I have or these whatever, you know, it's actually looking at your life, like what you do with your time, what you do with your money, where, where your uh, passions and emotions flare, what are the things that actually draw your energy and attention? What are you willing to prioritize? And you, what, what are you willing to say no to? And what do you say yes to? These are the actual things that show what your heart is about. Jesus was a master at this. He would go around in his ministry and have all sorts of people who thought that they were righteous or up, upstanding. And he would point out, actually, your life is all about this. Maybe that's what you really love. Maybe that's what you really depend on. Maybe that's the thing that you've brought into the center of your life. And so we've got to look at how we're living and say, no, really, what's at the heart? Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading with us today. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.